When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, as many of you know, in my last video, I mentioned that I'm looking at around seven different companies that I'm considering selling. Now, that has fluctuated. I have about seven to nine different companies that I'm looking at that I, I might sell. Some of them I might keep. I'll be going over them in this video. In my portfolio, this is surprising to some people because I haven't sold since creating my YouTube. But even before that, I haven't made a single sale in well over a year. So selling is not something I commonly do. I'm very slow to make decisions like this. I take my time and think about it and uh, consider a lot with the different companies that I hold. But what I've done is I've gone over my portfolio. I've identified about seven companies that I'm seriously considering selling. I'll be going through them sector by sector and explaining what those companies are, my rationale behind them. And then I want to get the community's input on it. See if you guys think I'm way off base with some of my decisions. You know, I want to see which ones you guys would keep, which ones you guys would sell, and we'll do it from there. In fact, the tweet that I had, this one here, was by far the had the most engagement or the most comments and discussion of any tweet that I've put out. And that was asking if you guys could guess which companies I'm going to sell and had a lot of responses from it. It was interesting because I could tell from different comments who has watched all of my videos and who hasn't because people like Hector here know exactly what companies I'm not going to sell, which ones are the type of companies that I favor and that I really like and which ones I'm not so happy with that are in my portfolio. So it's interesting to see that, but we'll be going over that today. That'll be the main focus. The other thing I wanted to mention was this website here. It's the Simply Safe Dividends website. This isn't a sponsorship. Some people are like, oh, you're you know, sponsoring Simply. I have no agreement with them whatsoever. Haven't contacted them at all. They rank dividends by their safety. They charge kind of an expensive yearly membership from it. But I just bit the bullet. I thought it would be great for my portfolio because it aligns with the focuses of it so much. And it gives some interesting insights. Like I can look at the valuation, my yield on cost. I can see the exact amount I'm getting paid out month to month without new investments based into that. So we'll look at a lot of different stuff on this as well as one interesting thing is the dividend safety score. You can see I have a couple things in my portfolio that are very unsafe, unsafe, and it goes from borderline to safe to very safe. So this safety rating is all based off of which companies they think will slash their dividends or which ones they think will continue to pay them and raise them. As far as the news is concerned, the thing I find the most interesting is WeWork because I've seen a lot of IPOs, but I've never seen one botched this badly. WeWork was a massively botched IPO, and this is initial public offering. It's when a new company is listed on to like the, the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or whatever stock exchange. It's when it's a, their initial public offering. And I want to be looking at these, why I believe that you should avoid them. We're going to be looking at some of the, the popular ones here. And of course, as always, I'm going to be going over some of your questions, comments, and criticisms at the end of the video, so stick around for that. All right, so first of all, I won't keep you waiting. Let's go into the different companies that I'm considering selling. I'll start with the top sector and go into the different companies in each sector. Now, real estate is the most important one because it's the heaviest weighted one in my portfolio. Uh, and there are companies in this sector that I, I plan on selling. Now, I wanna give a disclaimer before going into this. A lot of people have the tendency to get very attached to the companies they own. 
it's like a family member after a while, like a child. And then when somebody else says, hey, I'm selling that company, the same one that you're holding for reasons X, Y, Z that I've laid out, a lot of times people can feel almost insulted from that. Many of them that I'm going to be selling are great companies that will continue to do well. I have 61 holdings in my portfolio. There's lots of good companies outside of that that I don't hold. I'm trying to trim mine down so that I can have a little bit less holdings. I'm still really diversified and it will be easier to manage my portfolio. So don't take it as insulting. If you hold a company that I plan on selling, it'll likely do just fine. There's a quote I like from Peter Lynch. He says something to the extent of your stocks don't know that you hold them right? They have no idea. So you can't get really too attached to a company. You know, your stock doesn't know that you own it. It's just something to make money. So don't get too attached to it. All right. So the first one is Iron Mountain. This is one that I'm likely going to be selling. To most people that have watched my series, this isn't a big surprise. Iron Mountain is a a REIT that does data backup, but it mostly does physical storage. So this is a company that comes in and will help you discard physical files, like incinerate them, um, different confidential files that need to be incinerated. It helps store physical file backups. There's a market for that, but it is going away. Iron Mountain is trying to move to more of like a data backup and, and do different services, but I think there's other companies that are better placed for doing that. Iron Mountain's core business model is outdated. It's a company that is needing to change its core business model. It might be able to do it, but it's not a journey that I'm interested in following. I think that there's other REITs that are better positioned than Iron Mountain that I'm more interested in holding. So this is one that I'm likely going to be selling. The next one here is Preferred Apartment Communities. This company is one that the more that I read about it, the more that I follow the management, the direction of the company, the less impressed I am of it. I think that they don't really know what direction they're going. Most of the management's external. The company is called Preferred Apartment Communities because it's supposed to be a residential REIT, but they continually are buying commercial real estate. They're buying up shopping malls and different things because they're not really making money with their apartment. The dividend safety score on this is 50, which is, again, it's not that good. This is on the really low end of dividend safety. This would be getting rid of another company in my portfolio that I think that they're having to shift to a different business model. They're kind of lost in the direction they're going, and it has a low dividend safety rating. So I think that I'll have actually a safer portfolio by putting this money, this $814, into these different companies, into these other REITs. So I'm going to be getting rid of preferred apartments as well as Iron Mountain. And there's two more real estate companies that I'm going to be considering getting rid of as well. Those are Annaly Capital and New Residential, the two mortgage REITs. These are not dividend growth companies. I've said this before that they're just companies that feed money in every single quarter and they pay really high percentages. So both of these pay like over 10% dividends. But if I go over to their dividend ranking here, Annaly Capital has a dividend safety score of 12. That is the lowest in my portfolio. It's considered very unsafe. That is extremely likely that they will be cutting their dividend. NRZ, New Residential Investment Corp, has a dividend safety rating of 30. So that, again, is unsafe. They're likely to cut their dividend at some point. So these companies, they definitely don't have a safe dividend. If they do cut their dividend, they probably will still be yielding a lot. But I think what I want to do is rid out any companies that have a dividend safety score below 40. Anyone that's really in that danger zone and try to just focus on companies with mostly a safe income because I'd rather have a consistent income than one that bounces up and down depending on if these companies can make good money or not. I'm thinking of cutting NRZ and NLY, taking that $2,000 and putting that into these other five REITs that remain. 
So I'd be keeping Simon property, which is the highest quality mall and shopping center REIT. We have store capital, which is commercial real estate property. We have well tower, which is a healthcare REIT, LTC properties, which is another healthcare nursing home type of REIT. And then we have realty income corp, which is the premier triple lease commercial real estate property REIT. So that would be the remaining portfolio here would be between these five companies, starting with Simon property and going up. Now, a lot of people say, well, cutting down on your holdings, that makes your portfolio more risky. But that's not really true if the companies that you're cutting out are more risky companies. By holding less companies that are safer in their their payments, that they're paying out a lower amount of their payout ratio as dividends, that they have more flexibility, they have less debt, those are adjustments that actually make your portfolio safer. I think if I cut out these four companies, my portfolio would actually be safer. The income I get in dividends would be more solid and dependable than before. So I don't view this as a move that makes me more aggressive and risky. I uh, view this as a move of trimming off holdings that I think are a little bit less safe into ones that I think are a little bit more solid. For instance, if I look at Simon Property, which is probably the most risky one, right? Because they are a mall retailer. We have companies like Forever 21 that just went out of business. That's 200 different store locations that are going to shut down. Simon Property, I believe I read that that was like 0.8% of their square footage. Almost a percentage of their square footage is going to be affected by that. But even so, if I look at Simon Properties' dividend safety ranking, it's 65. It's far safer than any of these companies below. These companies, I think, are very solid. Let me know what you guys think about the real estate changes. If I sold out these bottom four companies, Iron Mountain, Apartments, NRZ, NLY, and put that money into the rest of my portfolio, do you guys think that would be a smart move, bad move? I'm interested to know your opinion. So that's the changes to real estate. You know, on a different note, if I go into this website again, the dividend safety scores, it breaks it down. 11% of your income may be unsafe. 17% is borderline safe, right? If I look at this, the 11% that's unsafe is Annaly Capital and New Residential Investment Corp. That would be two that I'd be selling out of. And then the borderline safe ones, about half of them are another two that I'd be selling out of, Iron Mountain and Preferred Apartments. So what this would do is make it so that the amount that I have as borderline safe is very limited, only a couple companies, Abvi, LTC Properties, and AT&T, which none of those I'm considering selling right now. So you can see that most of the moves I'm trying to do with these sales is not trying to make my portfolio more aggressive. It's trying to make it more dependable and more durable where I can count on those dividends and I don't have to read that this company cut its dividend and that my income is going to go down a lot. So this is the direction I'm taking with it. All right, on to the next section, bonds. I'm not planning on selling any of my bonds. All these bonds, they do their thing. They lower the bait of my portfolio. They smoothen out the edges a little bit and they pay me monthly income. And I've enjoyed holding these and and making money with, I think, very low risk. So I'm going to keep the bond section just as it is. Next section is healthcare. This is one where I like most of these holdings. Some of them have gone down a little bit, but I just like most of the companies. Most of these have very solid dividend rating scores, meaning that they're, they're going to be paying their dividends in the future. Now, the one that I was looking at selling was United Health Group. This is the largest private health insurer in the U.S. It's a massive company. Fundamentally, it's great. If I go to the dividend safety score on this one, it's rated very safe, meaning there's no reason that they need to cut their dividend. Their revenue's growing. They're beating all of their estimates. They have revenue growth, earnings per share. Everything like that is really solid with this company. The reason that there's any concern at all with this company is we have an entire political party running for office that... Every single candidate that could possibly win in that party has all expressed that they want to do something similar to single payer, some kind of thing like that, and get rid of any type of private health insurance. So uh, that's the big concern here. It's political. Now, 
this is one that I've looked at selling. I think that it might just be a good buying opportunity on the flip side because I don't think that these political risks will really be manifested. There's a lot of things that would have to happen. First, you need to have a Democrat win office that wants to have single-payer system. And then you'd have to have the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the presidency and be able to push this bill through. Now, all those things could happen, which United Health Group, the CEO of it, has said that would it's a big risk with the company. So if that happened, the company would probably get really hurt by a single-payer system. But again, that's the assumption that a Democrat wins, that Democrats control both House and Senate, that Republicans aren't there to filibuster it or do anything to stop it. So that's a lot of political action, a lot of different things that would have to happen for this company to be hurt by a single-payer system. I think right now we're a ways off of that. So this is one that I've looked at selling, but I think as it stands right now, I'm more leaning towards keeping it. I'd be interested to know what your guys' opinion is on it, though. Now, next up, we have the finance sector. Let's go into this. In this one, I like most of the holdings here. The one that I was looking to sell was Wells Fargo. Now, I had this in my mind that I was actually planning on selling it, but then there was some big news that happened that was a little bit unexpected. They announced that Wells Fargo is going to have Charlie Scharf as CEO. I didn't know a lot about him, but you listen to his resume. He sounds like he has a tremendous amount of experience and a lot of really good companies. And this is something that I think will have me hang on to this company. So my original thought in selling Wells Fargo was a company has had its name just tarnished over the years through all these different scandals. It doesn't seem like a really popular bank. It seems like JP Morgan and other banks are beating Wells Fargo out in the technology game. The apps and interfaces they're building, I think, is a, a lot ahead with JP Morgan. But with Charlie Scharfair, a new CEO, it sounds like he might have a chance of turning this around. So I'm going to hold on to this company. The fundamentals are really good. I think the things that are wrong with Wells Fargo are mostly superficial. And if this CEO can change that, can change the brand of Wells Fargo to be more streamlined, more modern, to catch up with companies like JP Morgan, I think it's one that's worthy to hold on to. Wells Fargo does pay a 4% dividend yield right now. So this is a really good dividend paying company. Hopefully they can take it in a better direction, not have Congress and Elizabeth Warren lashing out at the company and, and, and kind of put these scandals behind it. So I'll also be watching what Warren Buffett does. So I think Warren Buffett's going to think that this guy is a great leader. I think Warren Buffett will keep his shares. It'll be surprising if he sells out of it. Warren Buffett owns 10% of Wells Fargo. So we'll see what happens there. But I think he'll hang on to the company and I plan on to right now. But it was one that I really was considering selling before this new CEO appointment. The next sector is utilities. I don't plan on selling or changing any of my utilities. All these companies have done fantastic. The returns on these have been remarkable. So I bought them at a pretty decent time, but I just continue to reinvest and buy more and more of these companies. There is some risk to utility companies, but not nearly as much as other companies. You know, there can be lawsuits if they really make some big mistakes, but a lot of these are so massive and diversified. And these are companies I love holding. I want to hold them for the next 20 or 30 years. The next sector is consumer. This is one where I have an issue with this because I have, I feel too many companies in this consumer pie and I want to trim off the companies. The issue is, is that I like the companies in this pie. So I like all of them in this. I think they're all really great companies. The one that I was considering selling is Texas Roadhouse. It's the lowest waiting. It's a restaurant and I think it's doing an okay job. But I wanted to take the $250, put it in companies that I like a little bit more like Costco, Disney, Target, ones that I think have a lot more growth potential. I think companies like Disney and Costco have a greater growth potential than Texas Roadhouse. So I plan on just selling that one, putting the money into it. If you guys continue to hold Texas Roadhouse, I think you're going to do good that way. This is just a case where I have a lot of companies in part of my portfolio that only has $5,000 in it. 
And I just want to put more of that money in companies I like a little bit better. So this is just a really crowded bus. I want to have a little bit more focus. So I'm thinking of taking out Texas Roadhouse, freeing up that $250, that 5% and, and throwing it into these other companies. Next up is telecom. So AT&T and Verizon, the two companies I have in this, I don't plan on selling either of them. AT&T is one of the ones that it sits right now at 55, which is borderline safe. The reason that they rate it that way is because it has so much debt right now. So anytime a company has a tremendous amount of debt, it's just more at risk. That's a less durable company. It, it can't go through as many really harsh environments as other companies. But AT&T does have a, a pretty good income stream and they're going to be paying off that debt over the next couple of years. I think that it's in decent shape. I like the direction that they're going. This is a company I want to hold on to. Verizon is really solid. It has a really high dividend safety score, 87. And the company's focused. It's doing all the right things. Verizon's one I'm not planning on selling anytime soon. So I'm keeping both of them in telecom. The next up is industrials. In this sector, again, this is a situation where I like most of the companies in here, but it's just a lot of companies for a small part of my portfolio. So this whole portion has $2,000 in it. It's 4% of my portfolio, and I have eight different holdings. So the money is just spread really thin. I said that I was going to be selling Caterpillar, and to a lot of people that really like this company, though there's some comments like, like, hey, that's a really solid company. I'm, you know, I want to know why you want to sell it. Well, I don't have any big reason why I want to sell this company other than I have $140 in it. I don't even think that that's, that's a little over one share of the company. So I don't really feel like a shareholder when I own such a tiny portion of the company. I want to trim off this company, focus on these other companies. Uh, I will say that Caterpillar is a company that has a diversified revenue stream. It's the biggest manufacturer in the world for heavy equipment. It's a really solid company. The safety score on it is 93. It's one of the higher ones. So this is one that will likely continue to pay its dividend for a very long time. I will say one downside of this company is if you actually look at the stock price, the volatility rating of Caterpillar is 1.5, meaning the normal market's one, Caterpillar is 1.5, so it's 50% more volatile than the rest of the market. And you can see that in its performance. When you look over this, it has these huge volleys, down 70% from 2008 to 2009. That's more than the general market. And another huge volley right here, down 20%. Another big volley, down 28%. You could go the other ways and say that it has all these spikes, but this is a pretty volatile company. Now, there are other ones in this sector as well. The next one that I'm strongly considering selling is UPS. This one pays a pretty high dividend. It's a stable company that's expanded everywhere. It's the biggest logistics company in the world, you know, the biggest shipping company. But they have Amazon, and Amazon has made it very clear that they're getting into logistics. They don't want to have to rely on UPS. They don't want to have to rely on FedEx or anybody else. Amazon is, is building up to 100 planes. So UPS, I think, has like 400 or 500 planes. But anytime Amazon is trying aggressively to get into a market, I look at that as a valid concern. I think that UPS has a huge leg up with Amazon in the logistics game. I'm not arguing that, but I don't like the fact that Amazon is getting into the core business that UPS is in. And Amazon, I believe, has the uh, ability to actually make that happen. You've already seen the, the things that Amazon's doing with their shipping. They're making it so that they're less reliant on other shipping services to ship their products. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue to happen. So UPS is one of those companies that's already so big. I don't really see a tremendous amount of upside with it, 
But there's other companies like Amazon that will continue to pick at their company and take little bits of it away as they entered into that game. So UPS is another one that I'm thinking about selling. Again, a lot of this is getting rid of some companies to make this less crowded. Caterpillar, I have $141 in. UPS, I have $209 in. This is a tiny amount for a portfolio that's almost $60,000. So getting rid of these companies aren't big decisions. These are pretty small decisions that I'm doing here. The next company that I'm considering selling is one that I very much liked three or four months ago. I'm just kidding. It's not Boeing. This is UTX. This is one that I actually did very much like about three or four months ago. But all these plans that they're they're planning on doing at once, they're spinning off the different segments of their company, which I, I think was good originally. I was planning on holding them, but then announcing the merger with Raytheon, I just feel like there's too much opportunity for managers and executives to pay themselves and all these different types of transactions at the expense of the shareholder. So I don't want to be a shareholder that gets potentially duped when they, they do these mergers and these spinoffs. I plan on just selling out of it. I don't necessarily love conglomerates to begin with. There's not that many that I really like. Uh, AT&T is one of the only ones that I really like. And I'll get some aerospace technology exposure with Lockheed Martin, which I think is a solid company. It's going to continue to do fine. But UTX is one that I, I plan on selling out as well. Again, $345. It's a bit there, but these aren't the biggest decisions in the world. If I get rid of UTX, UPS, and Caterpillar, that just frees up more money to go to these remaining companies that I think are all solid companies. The ones that I'm selling, I also think are pretty solid companies, but I just want less companies in this segment. I don't have a lot of money in industrials to begin with, so I think it'd be good to trim down on these positions. The next sector is tech, technology companies. I don't plan on selling any of these. They've all done really well. Uh, I think they all have really bright futures. They all have really solid dividend safety scores. So these are companies that I, I plan on holding. I don't see any reason to sell any of them right now. So I plan on keeping these. Um, and then after that, we have energy. This is a sector that I don't really love. I've considered just selling out of the sector completely, getting rid of the whole thing, because I'm not really that enthusiastic about any of these companies, but right now I plan on keeping it until I decide really what I want to do with them. So if I want to have these holdings and build into these positions in the future, I haven't decided that. But I need to read more about these companies, figure out their future plans, and decide what I want to do. As of right now, I'm not selling out of any of the energy companies. So that's it, guys. That's all of them. Uh, that's my whole portfolio, my thoughts on it. I'd be interested to see what you guys think. If you think I'm making a mistake on any of these ones, if you think that it'd be good to sell some of these, leave a comment, send me an email, josephcarlsonshow at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts. I'll consider them. Ultimately, it's my money. I'm going to do what I want. I'll sell the ones that I, that I want to sell and I'll uh, show and explain why afterwards. But you guys might be able to convince me on some of them. So I'll listen to what you have to say on them. But that's my thoughts so far. I make decisions pretty slowly. This has been a long time that I've thought about these companies that uh, I really want to have in my portfolio. As my portfolio size grows, I'm putting more and more money into these companies. So I want to have really solid companies that I'm buying, ones that will be really durable, ones that will withstand recessions and come out really strong. And that's what I'm trying to move towards. Now, before moving on to news, I want to look at one more thing. This has some cool insights in my portfolio. So if I go to the valuation here, this is pretty cool. The starting yield of my portfolio is 3.7%. Meaning if you were to open up an account and, in, and invest you know, $50,000 into my portfolio or whatever amount of money, $1,000 doesn't matter. If you were to invest that into my portfolio right now with the exact same holdings weighted at the exact same portion, your starting yield would be 3.7%. That's the starting dividend yield. But my yield right now is 4%, 4.01%. That's my yield on the price that I've paid for my portfolio. Meaning 
they've gone up in value and they're paying higher dividend amounts, which makes my yield of cost go up. So you can see this happens over time. The longer I hold this portfolio, the more my yield on cost will go up. Another cool thing, the dividend growth, this projects what my dividend growth is last year. Uh, the last 10 years is really low because that includes the 2009 recession, right? When dividends were, were reduced by 24%. But last year it was up 9.7%, which is really fast dividend growth. 7% is the average over the last five years. So you can see that the dividends that I'm being paid will grow even if I don't put more money into my portfolio. It'll still grow at a pretty high percentage. Another thing that we can look at is the income here. This doesn't do any type of projections, but this just gives me a schedule of my dividend payments. You can see that it switches off every month from making around 184, 144, 199, and it goes on bouncing between about $144 and close to 180 to $200. So that's where it's at right now. Of course, this money is being reinvested back into the portfolio. So in the future, it will continue to go up as well as my deposits. But right now, my projected annual income is over $2,100. So that's pretty cool to see that my portfolio is going to be making that much money for me every single year and broken down monthly, that's going to be reinvested back into it some pretty cool stuff to look at there, but I'll keep you guys updated on the portfolio. The next episode, I'll show you how it changed, which ones I really decided to sell and which ones I decided to keep. I'll have that in the next episode for you guys. So I want to move on to some news now and talk about IPOs in particular. For people new to investing, an IPO is an initial public offering. It's when you start a private company, you might have some angel investors, some people early on that invest in that company and they grow it. And then you have your initial public offering, which is when your company gets listed on a stock exchange for the public, like you and I, to become participants and buy shares of that company. Now, this article here says this year's disappointing IPO class is causing a reckoning among private investors. The IPOs that have been popular for the past year, at least the ones that are the most newsworthy, have been largely really, really disappointing. The one that I want to focus on today is from WeWork. The Wee Company, parent company of WeWork, is the latest in a string of startup unicorns set to go public this year. Its core business revolves around leasing whole buildings or parts of buildings, transforming them into hip co-working spaces and then renting them out to everyone from startups and freelancers to large enterprises. WeWork is now the single largest office tenant in New York, and SoftBank's valued it at $47 billion. $47 billion. Uh, to put that in perspective, they're valuing WeWork at $47 billion. Target, as in the, the grocer, the retailer Target, is valued at about $52 billion right now. So this real estate company that is losing money every single year, and not just a little bit of money, it loses $2 billion a year. It has massive obligations and debt, not to just bondholders, but to different people they're leasing these properties to. They've decided that it was worth $47 billion. That was the valuation that they were going to list this company at to the public. Now, of course, we know that this didn't go through. It had all this bad publicity, all this skepticism, the whole thing unraveled, and they pulled the IPO before it even happened. And now WeWork, this company, they rebranded to the We Company. Now they're in a situation where they have to pay all these obligations and they don't have the money that they were going to get from this IPO. But the bigger point here is that they were ready to sell you their company at a $47 billion valuation. There's a pretty good clip here from Josh Brown. He's one of the contributors to CNBC. Uh, I'll go ahead and just play this. Okay, so this is, this is the key thing to understand and to never forget. Wall Street was this close to selling you um, 
WeWork at a $50 billion valuation. They were ready to go. They were locked and loaded. The roadshow was planned. Everything fell apart at the last minute. And now there were headlines. Adam Newman might step down as uh, CEO. He'll become chairman and they're going to clean things up and they're going to try to do what Uber did a year before it went public. But the point is not that. The point is that WeWork's underwriters, Wall Street banks with wealth management divisions were this close to selling it to you at a $50 billion valuation. And now we don't know if it'll even get $10 billion. We don't know if it'll even get an IPO at all. Remains to be seen. Um, they have to IPO or they'll default on a whole bunch of debt. So I think enough banks are on the hook that they'll find a way to get it done. But this is the part that you should never forget. They were ready to go. I'm glad that this thing unraveled before people were sold this stock at a $50 billion valuation because it would have been one of the most egregious bombs ever to have been detonated Uh in, in, in front of uh, retail investors who don't know better and their advisors who should know better and don't uh, or don't care. All right, that's it. So he points out the truth with this. And this is what I absolutely hate to see where new investors, they come in, they learn about the market a little bit. They think, oh yeah, you can buy different companies, but they don't have the experience in evaluating, seeing what's going on and what uh, other people are trying to do. And situations like this, where companies, the previous owners of them, that have inflated values of these companies, they're simply trying to transfer money from your pocket into theirs. They're trying to have a company like WeWork that has massive amounts of debt that's not making anywhere close to a profit. They are losing billions of dollars a year. This company wants a $47 billion valuation. They want that capital from the public to bail them out. Now, the interesting thing about WeWork is that it has this massive valuation that they were trying to sell it for $47 billion. And the way that they do that is they try to frame their company as not a real estate company, but a tech company. Because if they frame it as a real estate company, that means that people would have to actually evaluate the company based off of the, the numbers, the raw data, the things that are actually fundamentals of the company. If it's a tech company, then there's no raw numbers. It's uh, all of a sudden in that cloud of growth companies where numbers mean nothing and this company deserves to have any valuation. Think of any number, that's what it is because now it's a tech company. It's under that special umbrella where it can lose as much money as it wants. As long as it's growing, investors will bail it out over and over again until eventually it's successful. That's the idea behind it, right? Here's a clip of the CEO of a company called IWG. This is a company that's almost identical to WeWork. They function the same exact way. Remember that WeWork is a business model that's really easy to replicate. So other companies can jump in and do the same thing that they're doing pretty easily. Now, this company has been doing it for a while. And as the CEO explains, it's the same business. They're this, they have the same exact business, the same business model, except IWG is, is valued at $4 billion not 47. And so he was actually excited when WeWork was getting this sky-high valuation because he thinks, well, when people look at the fundamentals, if WeWork is getting valued at that, we would have to be valued far beyond what we are. Here's him explaining how similar the businesses are. It's the same business. What can I say? You know, your comments are the same business, doing the same thing. We have a great digital platform. It's our app that's at the top of Google App Store and the Apple App Store. Um, it's completely, you know, we have all those things. Um, so same business, look at the revenues, look at the margin. I mean, you'd have to think that whatever our value, you know, they would have the equivalent. 
even as he notes in that clip, the apps that they have for their company are listed higher on all the all the different app stores. So they have the technology side, just as WeWork claims to be the technology company. IWG is is probably just as, as good or ahead of them in the technology game. So they're trying to frame this. WeWork is trying to say that they're a technology company. They should be valued different. But they're the same company as IWG. So this just shows how eager these companies are, these private companies that want to get listed, how eager they are to dump their company into the shareholders' hands, knowing their inflated value, where as soon as those investors buy the company and they want it to become profitable, they're going to have to uh, radically change the direction of their business. No longer can they just dump investor money into it, burning through cash, trying to make it grow. So now that WeWork has botched this IPO, they're not able to IPO at anywhere the same price they are. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now they're having to cut costs. They're having to pay their debts. They're having to actually fill the vacancies in their places. Uh, they no longer have the common shareholder just to bail them out. And we can look at some other examples of this. We can look at examples of investing in companies that don't make money. This is why my portfolio is full of companies that do make money. They make a ton of money. They make so much of it that they have enough to reinvest back into their own company and pay us out dividends. These type of companies like WeWork that are funded by debt and funded by investors and they have no profitable business model and then they try to have an IPO, bail them out, make all the original people invested in this wealthy at the expense of the common shareholder. These are companies that I would never invest in. I think that they're taking advantage of the common shareholder. We can look at other examples of it. Lyft. This is since IPO. They are down 47%. A lot of good that did for people that invested in them. Let's take a look at Uber. All the original people that invested since the IPO are down 27%. Let's take a look at Chewy. Here's the uh, the one that PetSmart bought and you know they did well. They, they actually just bought out their competitor and then they sold it, the IPO. Let's take a look at how that's doing. Down 25.6%. Let's take a look at Fiverr. Since IPO down 42%. Let's take a look at Slack. This is a, a wonderful company. Overpriced, but I know this one has burned some people as well. Down 40.7% since IPO. And this isn't that long of a time period. These companies are going down fast. Smile Direct. This one is down 30.4%. One of the popular ones where people actually made money was Beyond Meat. This is the lottery ticket. If you rolled the dice enough, you might have gotten in on this one. This one since IPO is up 127%. That's what people want. They want to buy into the Beyond Meat, the companies that do have the massive bubbles that are inflated and uh, they're not based off of any metrics or anything that you can actually stamp down to book value, but they just go up. So people want to buy in in hopes that they'll have an IPO like Beyond Meat, but a lot of times it turns out to be one of the IPOs like Chewy or like Uber or Lyft or Slack or any of these. So my whole thought on this is that if a company is going in and IPOing, if it's not making money, I'm not going to invest in it. If it's not a profitable company, I'm not going to invest in it. You have no idea whether these companies are actually going to be able to flip that switch and go from growth mode to profit mode. So that is why I try to avoid these type of companies. Um, I look at different IPOs. I look at the companies that are being offered and they have a common theme of not making any money. And I think investors are losing their appetite for that. I think investors will over time go to the kind of holdings that we have. The stocks where these companies are dependable, where they make money, they actually give money to shareholders, not ones where they just have bloated valuations, not based off of fundamentals, and they dump that off to the common shareholder. 
All right, well, that's enough of my rant on IPOs. Let's go ahead and jump into some questions here. Joseph Carlson Show at gmail.com. Joseph Carlson Show at gmail.com. The first one's from Ben. He says, Joseph, I've had my M1 account open for only about a week now, and I have earned dividends of 23 cents. I was curious about the time frame is for me to be reflected as a deposit into my account. Love the channel, full of great information. So your earned dividends, they'll show up there first. That means that you cross through the ex-dividend date. And then the next date you're looking for is the payout date. So that is a different day. It's like when you earn your paycheck as you're working every day, and then at the end of a two-week period, you get paid. Same type of thing with dividends. You earn them quarterly or monthly, whatever holding you have. That's the ex-dividend date. And then the payout dates when you actually receive that in cash. Typically, that's about two, maybe three weeks later. So you'll be getting that dividend in two to three weeks. And you can sell the company after any time after the ex-dividend date or even on it and still get that dividend. So you're owed that money. You don't need to keep holding the company. It will be paid to you. Aaron says, hello, Joseph. I love the show, especially the length. I've been investing for about five years now, but consider myself new because I haven't really been actively investing. Recently, I'm working on repositioning my investments to focus more on dividends. I had two questions I'd love for you to address if you have the time. One, are fractional shares that are gained from dividends also affecting dividend payout? Do fractional shares benefit you or not until it, or not until it equals a full share? So that first question, Aaron, is... If you own a fractional share, so if I own 70% of a share, I will be paid 70% of the dividend. So it's exactly proportionate. The same exact fraction of a share, you get paid the dividend. So if you own 2.3 shares, you'll get paid 2.3 dividends worth. It's the exact same. There's no disadvantage to owning the fractional share. Uh, Two, you say, you mentioned before that you had too many stocks and wanted to trim your position. Someone else mentioned that Warren Buffett or someone like that saying you could have around 20 stocks. If you want to live off monthly dividends, how would it be possible to focus on or around 20 or even 30 stocks? It seems like one would need 40 or 50 stocks to be able to receive a dividend every month. Thank you for taking time to read my email. I look forward to your future videos regardless of the topic. Have a great day. Okay, Aaron. So the second question yeah, the, there's different recommendations of how many stocks to own. 20 means that you're pretty diversified as long as they're somewhat large cap stocks in different sectors. Now, I have a lot more than that. I have like two or three times as much, but I don't think that that's necessarily a negative thing. Like I showed in this video, I'm going to be trimming off a few of those holdings. I'll show you guys in the next video what I actually decide to do, but I'm reducing a few of those holdings. But I don't think I'm going to get down to 20 or 30 anytime soon, and I'm not too worried about receiving a set amount of dividends every month. Most dividends pay quarterly. Some months you'll get more, some months you'll get less. If you're wanting to live off of them every month, all you have to do is average that out. So you got to see how much your projected income is for the year and then just take the average every single month and that's that's really easy to do. So I wouldn't worry too much about having that monthly income. I think that having 20 to 30 companies is probably enough for most people. Haynes says, you talk about your dad owning real estate. Why don't you have a rental unit? Is it something that you're interested in or maybe you have gotten around or maybe you haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, So yeah, that is something that I'm interested in. Of course, I think that I've had enough exposure to it that I I would know what I'm in for. There's a lot of physical labor, a lot of fixing things that that is involved in it, depending on how new or old the place is that you own. Um, I would love to own a rental unit. It fits in right with my whole investing philosophy of having something that just continually has an income stream and it, you know, it diversifies your income stream away from your primary salary. And so I always think it's a positive thing to do. The issue is right now is that real estate prices, at least in my area, are extremely high. 
and I look at the numbers and nothing cash flows. So if I go and I look at the sale price of something, I look at how much I can rent it. It doesn't even meet the mortgage if you put 20 or 30% down, right? Uh, so it's a problem right now where the investment's not even able to really pay for itself. So if it gets to a point where things come down a little bit in price, which over the past couple of months, real estate in my area has gone down as well as most other places. So I think it might continue to go down a little bit. Another thing that is a bar to entry for real estate is with investing, if I have $2,000, I can put that into my investments, right? And I can earn a yield of, you know, a starting yield of 34 to 4%. And so I put that $2,000 into my investments. And I know that that's going to increase my income for my portfolio, roughly about $7 a month. And that doesn't sound like a ton, seven bucks a month. But when you put $2,000 in that $7 a month, put another $2,000 in, you're at $14 a month, another $2,000, you know, $21 a month, and so on. Before you know it, you're earning a lot of money every single month. And plus, that's getting reinvested in compounding. So it's just easier for me to throw money at my portfolio right now. It's a simpler thing to do. If I was to go out and buy an apartment, uh, I'd probably be looking at something around 300000 250 to 300000 I'd need a down payment of at least 10 to 20%. So I'd be looking at like twenty to $40,000 down. And then I would have to have money outside of that down payment to cover all the expenses associated with it. So you're just looking at a, a lot that's involved there. There's a lot down. There's a lot that I would have to be doing as far as preparation. It'd also be time consuming. And so it would add to that. And I'm just not there yet. Once I have a bigger portfolio with my dividend portfolio, once I get up to where I have a hundred or $200,000, and then I'm, I have money saved up on the side that I, I have a little bit more that I can do more discretionary investing like that with, with real estate, I plan on picking that up. The big thing is I'm just not in a hurry. So I'll be looking, I look all around at properties. If the right one comes up in my area, I'll be interested in it. I have been saving money on the side for something like this. So it's not that I'm not looking, but I'm not in a huge hurry. I don't feel any pressure to when the right property presents itself around my area that I think I can get a really good value out of and have it be cash flow positive. That's something that I'm going to be looking at. So it might happen sooner than later, but right now I'm just not in a huge hurry to. All right. The next question is from Richie. He says, Hey, I'm a huge fan of your methodology. I was rewatching your vids as I often do. And I noticed that on episode 26, you had more invested in real estate and less in health sector, as well as some other minor portfolio changes. Are you altering your targets based off the market? What made you reduce your real estate stake from 30% down to 20 and then allocate it to some other sectors, for instance, seven to 13% in health. Thank you for your thoughts. Best fortune to you. All right, Richie. Yeah, I did do that. So Part of the reason was because when you get going, the dividends are so small and insignificant if you only have a couple thousand dollars in that having those REITs, which pay a higher percentage, really helped bump that up. So that was part of it. But also because some of the biggest REITs that I really liked were really undervalued when I first bought them two years ago. So Realty Income Corp right now is only yielding like three and a half to four percent. When I originally bought it, it was yielding over five percent. So that's why I'm up so much on that stock because I got it at a really undervalued point. So that was part of the reason that I was so heavily weighted on REITs and I put that percentage down to 20%. The other part that I increased healthcare is because um, I feel like healthcare is being beaten up a little bit by the elections right now. 
you have candidates that are running on single payer system and wanting to control the prices of prescription drugs and all that stuff. And that pushes down a lot of these healthcare companies. But I think healthcare is positioned really well because I don't think the Democrats are going to go out and destroy J&J or destroy Pfizer or these different companies. I just, you know, even if they got elected and were in office, I don't think that that would happen. I think these companies would still be highly profitable companies. But I do think that these companies do really well during recessions because other companies can fail, real estate can suffer, and other industries can suffer, but people are still going to want their medication. Even in a huge recession, everybody's going to need their medication. So these huge pharmaceutical companies that I have in healthcare, I think are both undervalued right now because they're being beaten up by politics. And they're a safeguard in case we enter into a recession. So that's my thought process. That's why I bumped up healthcare in particular. But you guys can move those around. Depending on what sectors you think are going to perform well, what companies you want to start funneling more money into, you can move that around and kind of gauge the market how you want. I've done that the whole time with my portfolio. And so far, I think it's done really well. All right. Well, that's going to be it for me this time. I'm sorry that I got this video out so late. I have, I've had a cold over the weekend. I like lost my voice for three days. So that really pushed back all these videos and stuff that I had actually mostly prepared a couple days ago. So I have a lot of content lined up that I'm going to be putting out later this week. And so if you haven't subscribed to the channel, also know that this is on all the different podcast services on, on Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. So be sure to check that out as well. Anyway, see you guys next time.